Hallelujah. Anybody believe that? I still believe that my worst day living for God is still a thousand million times better than my best day when I wasn't living for Jesus. And I'm so grateful to be saved. Amen. And I'm grateful to be in the house of the Lord and to feel what we feel in this place. I just believe that anything can happen in this building tonight. Do you believe that with me? Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. We really felt very strongly to have Brother Puller come and uh, come back as soon as humanly possible. And tonight was the first night he could make it. And uh, we really believe that God is in it. He is an evangelist to this church. And uh, we, we, we just want the Holy Ghost to speak whatever God wants to speak to us. Are you ready to receive a word from the Lord? Hallelujah. Would you lift up your hands as we pray for the man of God as he comes in Jesus' name. God, open our hearts and our ears in Jesus' name. Amen. Put your hands together one more time. Give God the praise and the glory. Hallelujah. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord tonight? Amen. Amen. There's no telling what God can do in this service. Amen. I'm so thankful to be back here with you tonight. And um, I feel that, um, and this didn't start when I came here, but um, I, I, you could even ask your pastor. I was watching, paying attention to the services here, and God's just been moving and pouring out his spirit. And especially the, uh, the last two services that I've been here, I know that God moved in such a mighty way. And so um, I felt direction about what to do these, these next two revival services because there's one thing that we need to understand and be aware of is that revival is not always linear and that usually with great spiritual gain, there comes great spiritual resistance. And so these next two services, I want to talk about, amen, how to handle and deal with pressure and how to keep living for God and how to keep seeing revival in spite of what's going on. And I believe God's going to help us tonight. If you have your Bibles, John chapter 18 starting at verse 10 through 12, and I'm so thankful to be here. Once again, I give honor to Pastor Hood and Sister Hood, um, great friends of the Pooler family, and um, I'm so thankful that God connected us, and um, I'm just excited to see what God is going to do here in Carson City. And um, my wife and kids are not here with me, and um, my oldest daughter was built to live the evangelist daughter's life. But my youngest daughter was not built, amen, <laughs> for evangelist life. And so she enjoys it, but um, after being on the road for a total of 20 hours over the past few days, she needed a break. And so um, my wife and my children sends their greetings, and um, they're praying for this service. I believe we're going to have a great move of God. Amen. Are you going to help me preach tonight? Amen. Amen. I always like to say that I'm going to try and teach, but it always ends up coming out as preaching. And so uh, we'll see what, what comes out tonight. Amen. John chapter 18, starting at verse 10 and reading through verse number 12. If you have it, say amen. The Bible says, Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and smote the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Then said Jesus unto Peter, Put up thy sword into the sheath. The cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? 
Then the band and the captain and officers of the Jews took Jesus and bound him. Now I'm going to preach from this simple thought. Peter, put away your sword. Peter, put away your sword. Can you set your Bibles down? Could you lift your hands one more time? Could you help me pray? Can you help me pray all over this house? We need the Spirit of God to move. I believe there can be chains that are broken in this house tonight. I believe there can be direction that's given tonight. Come on, would you lift up your voice and help me pray? God, we love you. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you, Lord, for every soul that's here in the house of God. We pray, God, that you would have your way, that you would speak to your people. We'll give you all the praise, the glory, the honor. Would you clap your hands one more time? Amen. 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 If you're not going to help me preach, you can be seated. Amen. I'm at Some people sit down. I was, <laughs> praise God. I'm making sure everybody's awake. Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. <laughs> Some of you are going to be in Pastor Hood's office. Praise God. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Peter, put away your sword. Can you look at your neighbor and say, put down the sword? Amen. On the setting of our text, we find... Jesus instituting communion and foot washing at the Last Supper with his disciples. From here, Jesus uh, would head with his followers to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. This is where we learn that in spite of the best efforts of Jesus, he can't get any of his disciples to tarry with him in prayer on the night before his biggest trial. Jesus, knowing the time was at hand, would wake his disciples and prepare himself for what truly would be an agonizing road that lay ahead of him. No sooner had Jesus finished praying that the Bible tells us that Judas would come and betray him with a kiss. This should be no surprise, uh, often after spiritual moments, we find that we will be confronted with the works of Satan. Um, it's often when you hit a spiritual high that life will attempt to bring you low. And I'm not preaching from here, but there are numerous examples in the Bible of people climbing mountains and having great spiritual experiences only to come down from that great a powerful supernatural moment to be confronted with the works of Satan. If you find Moses, he's on the top of the mountain receiving instructions from God, carrying tablets the Bible tells us that God uh, inscribes the commandments on with his very own finger. And after having this spiritual high, Moses comes down from the mountain and is confronted with the children of Israel building a golden calf. Even if you were to flip to the New Testament, Jesus climbs a mountain. On this mountain, he would be transfigured. But no sooner had he had this moment that he comes down with his disciples and he confronts a, a demon-possessed child. That's why I'm preaching what I'm preaching tonight. I want you to understand that great spiritual highs are followed by spiritual resistance. But the key to getting through the resistance that you face is to continue the work of God. 
because Moses didn't let the golden calf stop him from interceding on behalf of Israel. Jesus didn't let the demon-possessed child rob him of the experience of the mountain, but he simply cast the demon out and continued doing the work of the kingdom of God. Can I tell you that all great revivals will be met with great resistance, but hear me, don't be discouraged. The devil resists those who are close to reaching the destination that God has ordained for them to reach. Somebody say amen. We have to get to a place in our walk with God where we understand that life is not getting hard because we're doing something wrong. But life is getting hard because we're doing something right. Things are not shaking because we're going to be destroyed. But things are shaking because we're going to be set free. Amen. Can I tell you, in order for Paul and Silas to be loosed from their bonds, there first had to be a great earthquake. Can I tell you, the shaking is not meant to break you. The shaking is meant to break your chains. The shaking is meant to break your captivity. The shaking is meant to lose something in the atmosphere of God. I would be afraid if there was no spiritual resistance. Can I tell you, I'm not discouraged, amen, when the devil begins to work because I know where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. Can I preach to ARC for a few moments? Keep working, keep praying, keep building. Life will happen, but God's plan will not be disrupted. God's plans will not be shaken. Can I tell you, greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. Amen. Things are shaking because we're on our way to another building. Things are shaking because we haven't prayed our last soul through. Can I tell you, we're fighting hell. We shouldn't be afraid of the powers of darkness, but God's light is going to shine, and we're going to see revival in Carson City. If you believe it, would you clap your hands and give God the glory? Amen. 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 So much for teaching. Praise God. Amen. Amen. After Jesus is betrayed, he negotiates and ensures the safety of his disciples. Verse 8 and 9. And as here we reach our scripture text. All the disciples would flee. But Peter, realizing Jesus was about to be taken captive, He pulls out a sword, and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. One would think that Jesus would be thankful for the zeal of his servant. And I remember reading this verse as a young person. I wondered why God was mad. Peter, as we see here in Scripture, the Bible tells us that all the disciples forsook him and fled. But Peter was one of the last disciples standing by Jesus, uh, and he attempts to stop Jesus from coming into captivity. But rather than Jesus congratulating Peter on his attempt to defend him, Jesus not only heals the servant that Peter was trying to protect him from, but he rebukes Peter, telling him to put away the sword. Jesus would go on to make This statement, the cup which my father hath given me, shall I not drink it? Um, Understanding this statement is the key to understanding why Jesus rebukes 
Peter. And I want you to walk with me for a few moments once we get to where we're going. Amen. We won't slow down. But I want, I want you to see this. Jesus rebukes Peter because all throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus, I want you to catch this, all throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus was trying to prepare the disciples for this very moment. I want you to see this in Matthew chapter number 16, verse 21. Because I don't want there to be an excuse for the disciples and their lack of understanding. I want you to see this, Matthew 16, 21. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. And so here we already see that Jesus was trying to let the disciples know he was going to suffer, be killed, and rise again on the third day. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 through 19, the Bible says that Jesus took his 12 disciples apart and said, We're going to go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and scribes, and they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge, and to crucify him, and the third day he shall rise again. There are many more examples, but even if these two we've given were not enough, in Matthew 26, right before Jesus was praying in Gethsemane, he institutes communion, uh, explaining how his body would be broken and his blood would be spilled, not only laying out what was going to happen, but why it was going to happen. He was telling his followers that it was for the remission of sins of humanity. He told his disciples multiple times what was about to happen and why. And there can be no argument for their lack of understanding. There can be no uh, argument for their ignorance. Yet when they come to arrest Jesus, Peter pulls out a sword and chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. And Jesus rebukes him. And so the question is, why did Jesus rebuke Peter? And, thi and this is the answer I want to give you and what I want you to start to, to, to think about and to grapple with tonight. I feel that the Holy Ghost wanted me to share this with you tonight. Jesus rebukes Peter because Peter was so appalled by the suffering that he was letting it blind him to the abundance of glory that was going to be revealed through the suffering. Let me say it this way. Peter was so taken aback by the process that would unleash the greatest miracle the world had ever known that he was doing whatever he could do to prevent it from happening. Tonight, I've come to preach to some Peters in the house uh, that it's time for you to put down the sword because your fixation on the hardship uh, and the process uh, is blinding you to the glory that God is going to reveal through the hardship that we go through. Brothers and sisters, I feel an urging in the spirit to minister to someone here today that the reason you're not seeing the promises of God fulfilled in your life is because each time God sends the process that's going to produce the promise, you begin pulling out a sword and say, I feel the Holy Ghost saying, God, I want an anointing, but I'm not willing to go through that. 
I want a calling, but I'm not willing to suffer for my calling. Come on, I want to preach, but I'm not willing to pray. I want to sing, but I'm not willing to practice. I've come to preach to somebody. You need to put the sword down and say, I'm going to go through it. Because the promise is greater than the hardship. The blessing is greater than the setback. The hardship cannot be compared to the abundance of glory that's going to be revealed through the suffering that I go through. This is where the devil gets us. He makes us think that life is so hard that what we're going after is not worth it. What the devil tries to do and the circumstances of life try to do is get us to a place where we are so taken aback by what lies on the other side of our resistance that we allow hardship to rob us of our blessing. Can I ask you a question? Do we serve a God who would allow us to go through the hardships of life, amen, not to reap a greater benefit on the other side? Can I preach to somebody today? Uh, your, your calling, your ministry uh, is greater than the hardship you have to face right now. Your family being saved is greater than the resistance that hell is putting before you. And I've come to preach to somebody. It's time to put the sword down and say, I'm going to go through it. It's time for somebody to put the sword down and say, come on, the glory is greater than the suffering. The promise is greater than the process. I've come to preach in this house today that what God has for your life is worth resisting the forces of hell. And you got to get this in your spirit. You got to get this in your heart that my family is greater than my trial. That my church is greater than my hardship. That my blessing is greater than my storm. Come on, come on. I've come to preach to somebody. It's time for us to get a little fight in our spirit and start going after the things that God has for us. And if my miracle lies on the other side of a storm, Come on, it's time for some of us to start packing life vests. Uh, come on, I'm going to fight through the forces of hell to get what God has for my life. Uh, I will fight every army and devil in hell if it means my babies are going to be saved. Uh, I'm trying to preach into your spirit that God has. Let me tell you why some of us don't go after the things of God. Because we view ourselves as ordinary. We view our calling as insignificant. But the Bible tells us that, that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. That, that word fearfully doesn't mean that God was afraid while he's making you. But when you look at that word, it means we were carefully made. I want you to see this. This is why Jesus, why God goes through so much detail in Scripture. This is why God gives us so much detail in creation, so much detail in lineages. He's trying to let you know I am such a detailed God, and you are the apple of my eye. You are the purpose of creation. Can I tell you, all the things that God created was so that man could inhabit the earth. And if God, if we are the apple of God's eye, why would God put more thought into a flower than he would in my life? Can I tell you, Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts and the plans I think toward you. What am I telling you? God has a plan for your life that's greater than sitting on a pew. 
God has a plan for your life that's greater, amen, than never being used, never being anointed. God wants you to wake up and realize tonight that what I have for your life, come on, is greater than what you're going through. And we don't serve a God who will give you a little reward for great trials. Can I tell you, as big as the trial, the greater the blessing that God has for your life. But you got to get to a place where you get a fight in your spirit and you say, I'm not going to let anything stop me from getting to what God has for my life. I want you to think about this. He had told Peter that his death would be for the remission of sins of humanity. Yet Peter was so blinded by what Jesus would go through. Think about this, that he was doing whatever he could to stop it from happening. Peter, if there's no suffering, if there's no cross, there's no resurrection. If there's no resurrection, come on, there is no remedy for sin. If there's no remedy for sin, humanity will be lost and go to hell. It's time for you to put the sword down because the suffering is greater. Come on. The suffering is not greater than what I'm doing this for. Can I preach to somebody? Come on, what was greater, amen, than the nails that were driven in his hands? With the crown of thorns shoved on his head, God went through it understanding that it's bigger than me. It's bigger than this moment and what I'm doing and the reason. I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. Bible says that, that Jesus could have called down legions of angels. One legion in a Roman battalion consisted of anywhere from three to 6,000 soldiers. There was one part in the Old Testament where one angel was dispatched and killed thousands of enemies. So what Jesus was doing when he was hanging on the cross, when he could call down legions of angels, if one angel could kill thousands, amen, legions of angels could have destroyed the earth. What he was letting them know is if I wanted to, I could call an angelic army to destroy everything if I wanted to. But the reason I'm hanging here is greater than the suffering I'm going through. Can I tell you when Jesus was hanging there, he saw you, he saw your family, he saw your calling, he saw Carson City, and he said, come on, come on. The glory is greater than the suffering. It's time for us to put the sword down. I know it's hard. I know you get weary. I know you get worn out. But I'm telling you, don't be weary in well-doing. We're in this for something greater. We're in this for something bigger than ourselves. And it's time for us to put the sword down. It's time for us to stop resisting. Can I tell you, there are some of us that are praying for a miracle. Every time we pray for a miracle, God sends us a process. We push it away. I, don't, I, I want the miracle. I, I, I didn't sign up for that. Praise God. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. Young person, I want to be a preacher. I don't want to go through that. But I'm telling you, the calling of God on your life is greater than what you have to go through. And we start, we have to have a better perspective of what we're doing here. Can I tell you, we're not just coming to check a box to say that we went to church, but every time we come into the house of God, amen, God is trying to accomplish something in our service. You got to realize this and understand, because I understand your flesh may be tired on a midweek, on a Wednesday night after Pastor Hood preached the house down on Sunday, but somewhere, somewhere along the way, you 
you got to understand that God is not a God of chance. But every time we come into his presence, he's trying to accomplish something. And if I were to get that perspective on a Wednesday night, I'd be shouting. I'd be dancing because I made it one more time. And I'm not going to let the hardship stop me from the glory. I'm going to put the sword down and say, nevertheless, not my will be done, but thine. You got to put the sword down. Come on, Peter. This is bigger than you. On the day of Pentecost, come on, there are going to be thousands that are filled with my spirit. If I could just endure the process. Cornelius and his house is going to be saved. And the Holy Ghost is going to be poured out on the Gentiles. If I could endure the process. Miracle signs and wonders. Hey, man, the feeling that you got when you spoke in tongues was only because Jesus Christ, amen, was fixated on the promise more than he was fixated on the suffering. And my question to you tonight is what's going to be produced in your life when you stop resisting? And Let me tell you, can I tell somebody? Amen, I feel a fight in my spirit. I feel a fight in my spirit. You have the Holy Ghost. You have the Holy Ghost. You weren't built to break. Come on, the devil, come on, he could destroy my flesh, but he can't break what's inside of me. And if God has ordained for me to get through this, come on, I'm going to get through this. I just have to endure. I just have to endure. I just have to go through it so that I can get to the promise that God has for my life. I'm preaching it's time to put your sword down. It's time to drop. Can can I tell you what that sword represents? The sword represents our will. The sword represents our flesh. Come on, it's time for us to put it down. My glory is greater than the suffering. My promise is greater than the process. And God wants somebody under the sound of my voice to understand this before you leave here tonight. That what he has for your life is greater than this present darkness. But you got to reach for the promise and put the sword down and embrace what God wants to do in your life. Can you lift your hands and pray all over this house? Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody's going to get some revelation in this house tonight. Somebody's going to go back to your home and begin to pray in the Holy Ghost. Some of you are going to stop taking what the devil throws your way, saying God has plans for my life. He didn't create anything average. God created me to be great. God created me to have an impact. Come on. You don't have to be a preacher to, to have an impact. You don't have to be a preacher to snatch souls out of the fires of hell. You just have to have a burden. You just have to have a burden. Come on, it's greater than me. It's bigger than me. I got to put the sword down. Peter, put away your sword. Amen. Praise God. Amen. We're at 21 minutes. I'll be done very quickly. Amen. Now, I'm not the kind of guy. To tell you, amen, you have to endure the process. Have fun. Praise God. Amen. What kind of preacher would I be if I simply came here tonight to tell you, you just got to endure it. Amen. Amen. 
The next time Pastor Hood said, Brother Puller's coming to preach, some of you were like, oh, I'm just going to stay home. Last time was rough. <laughs> Amen. But what I want to do, I want to quickly give you some ways to help you endure the process because God has given us some ways to endure the process. Amen. And so the first way to endure the process, and I hope you're ready. Amen. This is about to blow somebody's mind. <laughs> the first way to endure the process is to pray. Amen. <laughs> Somebody say amen. Amen. I want you to consider the process of Jesus. I want you to consider all the things that Jesus went through. I want you to think of the whips. Amen. I want you to think of the crown of thorns, the nails through his hands and his feet, uh, the spear that was pierced uh, through his side. Uh, amen. How was Jesus able to go through this? How was Jesus able to endure the suffering? Can I tell you? Because before Jesus ever went through the suffering, uh, the Bible tells us in Luke chapter 21 uh, that he was withdrawn from the disciples who had fell asleep uh, and he kneeled down and prayed. Jesus prayed, and the Bible says, he said, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Can I tell you the reason that Jesus was able to die on the cross? Because he already died in the garden. The reason Jesus was able to die on the cross is because he died out to his flesh in the garden. Can I tell you, he was able to go through the suffering because before he was betrayed, he prayed. Before he was beaten, he prayed. Can I tell somebody, you'd be amazed at the things you could go through if you would pray. You would be amazed. You would be amazed. I'm telling you, if you begin to pray, there are some things that are not even going to make it to Pastor Hood's desk. Amen. If you begin to pray, there are some people who are going to text Pastor before service and say, hey, man, God answered. I don't need to meet with you. I'm telling you, if you would pray, if you would pray, if you would pray, God will prepare you. Because when we pray... Amen. Sometimes our understanding is not fruitful, but you can't see that God is prepping you for what is lying ahead of you. Because the Bible, this is why we, it's important for you to pray in the spirit. Because the Bible says when we pray in the spirit, the spirit prays through us for things we know not. The Bible says when we pray in spirit in 1 Corinthians that we edify ourselves. That word edify means to build up ourselves. You don't know what you're saying when you speak in tongues, but you're building yourself up. Because guess what? You don't know what lies ahead, but the spirit knows what lies ahead. And if you would begin to pray, you're going to face things and just have a confidence because God was already ready. God was already ready, but you got to pray. If you're going to endure the process, you got to pray. Jesus endured the process because he prayed. Philippians 4 and 6 says, be careful for nothing, but in everything. Somebody say everything. everything. What? Everything. 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 By prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known unto God. That word careful in other translations can be put as anxious. You know what you do when you feel, you're feeling anxious? Everything through prayer and supplication. When you're feeling anxious, it's time to pray. When you're feeling sick, it's not a time to stay home. It's a time to pray. Amen. You got you to gotta clarify in 2021. There are times to stay home. Praise God. Amen. We don't want to pass sickness around the church. But a headache 
Amen. You can still come into the house of God. You know what the Bible says? You know what the Bible says when it says you're feeling sick? It doesn't tell us to stay home. But James 5 says you can call for the elders of the church and they can anoint you with oil and pray. And the prayer of faith will heal those that are sick. Come on, when you're anxious, it's time to pray. When you're sick, it's time to pray. When you're depressed, it's time to pray. When you're stressed, it's time to pray. When you don't feel like praying, it's time to pray. Can I tell you, prayer will help you get through the process. Prayer will help you get through the hardship. Prayer, come on, will shift your world. Prayer will transform you. Prayer will change you. Prayer will set you free. Prayer will deliver you. If my people which are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear from heaven. And when God hears, God moves. When God hears, God moves. Can I tell you what happened in the book of Exodus? The Bible said God heard the cries of his people. And when God heard the cries of his people, can I tell you there were ten plagues that rocked the greatest nation of the world. There is no stone. There is nothing God wouldn't do to deliver his people. Come on. I'm telling you, he took the greatest nation that existed at the time and had them bow their knee down to him. And when it was all said and done, Pharaoh and his army were lost in the sea because the people got tired of their situation and began to cry out to Jesus. And if God could do that for an entire nation, what can God do for me? Are your bills too hard for God? Is your hardship too hard for God? I'm preaching it's time to pray. It's time to pray. Come on, Mark 11, 24, whatsoever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you have them. I'm preaching to somebody, prayer still changes things. Prayer still shifts the atmosphere. Prayer still causes the glory to fall down. How am I going to endure the process? Put the sword down and pray. Put the sword down. Put your hands together and pray. And cry out to Jesus. And he'll give you a strength that helps you get through the process. But you got to pray. Somebody say pray. Prayer. First way to endure the process is to pray. Can I tell you, you're not going to get nothing done without praying. You got to pray. We can stay on prayer forever. Amen. But we got to move on. The second way to endure the process is to know that no matter how bad it gets, God's intentions for my life are good. The second way to endure the process is to understand God's intentions for your life. Very quickly, you see this in the book of Genesis. God would create something, and what would he say? It is good. It is good. Genesis 1-4, he calls light good. Genesis 1-10, he creates dry land and seas and calls that good. In Genesis 1, verse 12, he calls the trees good. In verse 18, it is good. Verse 21, it is good. Verse 25, it is good. Finally, in verse 31, he looked at everything that he had made, and he said, it is good. Why did Jesus do that? Why would Jesus call something good? Because he was affirming his original design and intent. Because guess what? Man would fall. A man and thorns would be produced from the ground. But God wanted man going in understanding that I have good intentions. Because if you're not aware of the good intentions of God, it'll make you doubt the environment that you're placed in. Amen. I could preach here for a while. 
God looked at day number three and said it was good because the work was not finished yet. Let me, let me preach to somebody. He tells you it's good before the process is finished. So you'll trust him to work one more day in your life. And if I know, even when my environment doesn't make sense in day number two, if I know that his intentions for my life are good, day number seven is going to come. I'm preaching to somebody. You have to understand that God has good intentions for your life because there are some times God is going to take us places that we doubt what he's doing in our life. But he lets us know. He lets us know that his intentions are good. He, he, told, he, told, he told the children of Israel that they were going to go through the wilderness before they ever faced it because guess what? When you just walk through the Red Sea, you're not really sweating the wilderness. But in year number 20, the wilderness gets old. And I got to hang on to the word of God that I got before I ever came into the wilderness that I'm going to bring you to a land flowing with milk and honey. Can I tell you, come on, when you understand God's intentions, you'll trust him even when he's not finished writing your story. When you trust God's intentions, you'll trust him even when you're in a forsaken environment. Come on, when you have... When you trust God's intentions, uh, even when life is hard, uh, I know he's bringing me somewhere. I know he's doing something in my life. Uh, I know his thoughts uh, and his plans are good and not of evil. And in order for me to endure the process, I have to understand that that the suffering is not for evil, but it's for good. And if God allowed me to go through it, come on, there's going to be something good that comes from this trial. That's easy to say, preacher. I know, Joseph, it's easy to say, and then you're in a pit. It's easy to say, and then you're in Potiphar's house. It's easy to say, but then then you're thrown into prison. But then Joseph reached a place where he said what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I'm preaching to somebody. God has good intentions for your life. Hear this preacher through your depression. God has good intentions for your life. Hear this preacher. God has not brought you here to leave you now. God has not allowed you to walk with him for 10 years uh, to turn his back on you now. I've come to preach uh, against the lies of the devil that God has good plans for your family, that God has good plans for your finances, uh, that God has good plans for your home. God has good intentions because if I'm going to endure the process, I have to trust that God has good intentions for my life. Because guess what? Not all of us are in day seven. Not all of us are in the day of rest. Some of us are in day one. Some of us, like, day one seems like 10 years. But I'm telling you, God has good intentions. And he looked at his creation. And he wanted us to know that even when the, pro- even when the work is not finished yet, it's still good. It's still good because there's still creation that's going to happen. There's still things that are going to spring forth. There's still potential even when it doesn't. It doesn't make sense to have a lamb with no animals. It doesn't make sense to have a sea with nothing inside of it. Uh, Amen. It doesn't make sense until it's all finished. But I want you to know every step of the way, my, my intentions are good for your life. Because if you trust my intentions, you can endure the process. Somebody say amen. Amen. God finishes what he starts. 
God finishes everything that he starts. God is not a God who starts something and leaves it undone. But if God has started something in your life, he's going to finish it. Philippians 1, 6 says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, can I tell you that God is going to finish what he starts in your life? Hear this preacher. God is going to finish what he started in Carson City. But we got to trust the intentions of God. God has good plans for my life. God has good plans for this church. We haven't seen our greatest revival yet. We haven't prayed our last person through to the Holy Ghost yet. We haven't seen our last miracle yet. God has good intentions for my life. It's time for us to put the sword down and trust the intentions of God. The third way. To endure the process, and I'm almost done, is to understand what the process produces. If I understand what's going to be produced through all this suffering, then I can endure the process. First Peter chapter 1 and 7 says that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold, the trial of your faith, much more precious than gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What you have to understand is this process is not destroying you. This process is perfecting you. Come on, it wasn't until the faith was tried by fire that it was, that it was found to be better than gold. Can I tell you, hey man, you got to endure the process because it's through the process that God is perfecting your faith. It's through the process that God is strengthening you. It's through the process that God is giving you wisdom. It's through the process that God is giving you a strength that you didn't know you had until you survived. Come on, until you survived the flames of hell can I tell you it's perfecting you but you have to understand that pressure is the catalyst for growth how many of us love working out raise your hand amen 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 I didn't raise my hand because I'm holding the mic praise God amen. but even <laughs> even amen working out is breaking down muscles so that something can grow. Without the resistance and the pressure of that weight you're lifting, that's causing things to fail and break down. But the next morning you wake up and you're sore, but you work out again. You work out again, and then pretty soon, huh, come on, you got to add more weight on because you're stronger than you were. When I'm preaching to some. And I got I to say, because I'm going to preach some of this on Sunday, but hear me. Pressure does not make you weaker. Pressure makes you stronger. Pressure is not meant to break you down. Pressure is meant to build you up. And if I understand that there's a strength that's coming through, come on, this adversity. There's a strength that's coming through this resistance. Because after you endure what you thought was going to take you out, you realize, come on, I'm, I'm built different. I'm, I'm preaching to somebody. You got to get some confidence in your spirit. Come on. Like I said earlier, the Holy Ghost is not meant to break. I'm telling somebody, if you will endure the process, come on, you're going to come out stronger than when you went in. But you have to understand that affliction makes you strong. Exodus chapter 1 verse 12. Pharaoh saw the children of Israel were multiplying and growing. He said, what are we going to do about this? We're going to afflict them. 
We're going to afflict them. We're going to burden them. We're going to make them so tired that they can't reproduce. Can I preach to somebody that Exodus 1.12 says the more that they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. This goes all the way to the book of Exodus. Can I preach to you that Christianity, can I preach to you that Pentecost and that the Holy Ghost is meant and built, that the more we're afflicted, the more that we grow. The great... I'm telling you, after this service, go out and research it. The greatest revivals uh, that have ever taken place uh, were on the backs of some of the greatest resistance uh, the church has ever faced. Uh, Can I tell you, resistance uh, doesn't destroy us. Uh, Resistance causes this to explode. You have to understand that pressure, pressure produced revival in Acts chapter number 8. Bible says it wasn't until Saul came and began throwing Christians in prison that they were all congregated in Jerusalem. They were all, this is what happened. Amen. This is what happened. A lot of us get comfortable in our current experience. And what comfort does is it causes you to stay stagnant. It causes you to stay still. That's what happened with the disciples. They stayed in Jerusalem. But this, this gospel wasn't meant to stay in Jerusalem. Amen. It was supposed to go to Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And so the way that God disrupted their stagnation was there was a man by the name of Saul that started persecuting the church. And it caused Philip to go down to Samaria. And revival broke out in Samaria. Even as they fleed, revival broke out. But their first was a pressure. Their first was a resistance. You have to understand that pressure produces revival. Pressure produces growth. Pressure produces strength. You got to understand it's time to put the sword down and endure the process because there's a strength that I'm going to have if I go through the process. Somebody say amen. Hey man, there's no greater contradiction than to want to see the strength of the Lord while at the same time remaining in control of our situation. There are so many of us that are praying for a miracle, but we haven't even taken our hands off the situation yet. There are some of us who are telling God to do something and we haven't even sacrificed yet. We're holding on to it. But I'm telling you, when you let it go, I'm telling you, God is going to respond. You know, you know what phrase I, I don't like? I'm a self-made man. I'm a self-made woman. We pride ourselves on our strength. And I'm not preaching that you should be weak. But hear me. Sometimes your strength is stopping you from seeing the hand of God. Sometimes your strength is stopping you from seeing what you want to see in God. Paul reached a place where he said, "My his strength is made perfect in my weakness. Do you want to see the strength of God? You got to start relying on a source that's greater than you. You got to put your faith in a source that's higher than you. Come on, you're not seeing the strength of God because you're relying on your own strength. But can I tell you, the greatest moves of God I've ever seen in my life was when I knelt down and said, God, there's nothing I can do. I can't figure this out. I can't do this on my own. Come on, and that's that's when checks started rolling in. God started giving financial blessings. God started healing when I put my trust in him and not in myself. Amen. If you want to endure the process, you got to know that it's producing something in your life. Let's all stand. The final way to endure the process is to focus on the reward 
and not the hardship. To focus on the reward, not the hardship. Hebrews 12, 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Watch this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. The joy that was set before him endured the cross. Can I preach to somebody today? When you get a conviction about the reward that God has for your life, when you get a conviction about the reward that God has for your family, you're not going to let any kind of persecution stop you from getting what God has for your life. Let me just preach. It's high time that we started getting our mind back on heaven and not what's going here on earth. I've come to preach and encourage somebody. We don't serve a God who's unjust. We don't serve a God who doesn't balance the scales. But even if God didn't answer your prayers and you were to pass away without having seen what you're praying about, if you were to pass away suffering and being afflicted, can I preach to somebody that one moment in the presence of God is going to be greater than a lifetime of suffering. The moment we're transformed and you step into heaven and you stand in front of Jesus Christ, uh, come on, in a place uh, where there's no more pain, in a place where there's no more suffering, uh, in a place where God is going to wipe the tears from your eyes, uh, you're going to say uh, it was worth going through hell to get to heaven. It was worth going through hardship uh, to get to the promise. Uh, can I tell you that Jesus uh, has gone to prepare a place for us? And it's my fear that we've become so fixated on the happenings of earth. We've become so fixated on who's president, who the governor is. That we've lost sight of heaven. We don't even preach about heaven anymore. But can I preach to you, we're going to a place we're going to a place where in one instant, all wrongs will be made right. We're going to a place where we're going to stand in the glory of the Lord, where the light that is emanating in heaven is from Jesus Christ himself. Can I tell you, I understand you're suffering now, but you're going to spend an eternity never suffering again a day in your life. You're going to spend an eternity, amen, not wrestling with that back pain anymore. You're going to spend an eternity in a place where you don't know what it's like to be persecuted, where you don't know what it's like to be hated on, where you don't know what it's like to be betrayed, where you don't know where it's like to be stabbed in the back. You're going to a place where this is all going to be done away with. And hear this preacher, a hundred years is not even a scratch of time in eternity because God says you're going to spend eternity with me. And it's going to be greater than the suffering. But you got to get your eyes back on the reward and able to endure the process. I know it's hard. I know life is hard. But I'm telling you, we're going to heaven. We're going to heaven. Amen. We don't fit in in this world. We feel uncomfortable in this world. Our priorities are not the world's priorities. The way we view things in Scripture is not the way that the world views things. But we're going to go to a place where we're surrounded by people who live this, who walk this. 
We're going to go to a place where there will be no more doors that are shut in our face. And there's going to be a crown that's placed on our head. And it's all going to be worth it. Heaven is going to be worth it. Heaven is going to be worth the suffering. Come on. We're going to see our loved ones again. But we got to endure the process in order to get the reward. I'm preaching to you today. You got to endure the process. You got to put the sword down, Peter, because the reward is greater than the suffering we have to go through. I wonder if we could lift every hand in the building tonight. I pray that I'm preaching to somebody who's worn out and who's weary. I pray that I'm preaching to somebody who life has been battering. God sent this preacher to tell you, put the sword down. Put the sword down. Put it down. Stop trying to figure things out on your own. Put it down. Stop trying to have your way and your will. But you got to pray. You got to endure the process. You got to get your eyes on the reward and understand that the promise is greater than the process. If I was preaching to anybody tonight, I want you to lift your hands. I want you to come down to this altar. Let me tell you what's going to happen in this altar. God is going to renew your strength. God is going to strengthen you. God is going to strengthen your mind. God is going to strengthen you, but you got to pray. You got to pray. You got to put the sword down and go through it so you can become everything that God has called for you to become. I want every hand lifted. I want every eye closed. And I want voices to be raised to heaven and say, God, you see me. You see what I'm going through. I need you, God, to strengthen me so I can go through the process. Come on, would you put the sword down? Would you put the sword down, Peter? Would you put the sword down? Come on, this is greater than what we're going through. Come on, when we pray all over the house as Sister Hood sings, would you lift your voice and begin to pray? God is wanting to move in this house. Come on, put the sword down. Lift your voice to Jesus. He's going to make right every wrong. Come on, would you lift your voice and pray? God, help me to endure. Help me to stand. Help me to go through the suffering. Help me to put the sword down. For your mercy never fails me And all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Till I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God I love you, Lord Oh, my. 
Oh, hallelujah. Let's keep praying for just a couple more moments. Hallelujah. Come on. When you understand this is all just part of the process and that God has good intentions for me, I can pray through it. I can endure through it. Hallelujah. Because I know the end result is going to be better. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. There's a very good day coming. It might just be okay today. It might be all right. But there's a very good day coming when God completes his work. Hallelujah. 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 Jesus' name. The Holy Ghost is in this building. The Holy Ghost is in this building. Come on, somebody needs to embrace the process. Embrace the process. Don't fight against it. Don't resist it. Embrace it. Embrace it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, there's some folks. You've been fighting the process for too long. Hallelujah. Don't, don't resent it. God is using it for your, for your benefit and for your good. He's got good intentions. He's a good father. That's it. Hallelujah. You might be broke right now, but that may not be the end result. You might feel like nothing's shifting in your life, but that's not the end result. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. You know, the Lord, the Lord called a prophet and he gave him an object lesson. He said, I want you to go down to the potter's house where they're working the clay. And I want you to notice how it's being worked. And there's a lot of things that through the years you've probably heard preached out of that. And but I, I, really, I really think God was taking the prophet to be able to see the process. 
And, and, he, and he asked this question, can the clay say to the potter, why have you made me thus? Or why have you made me this way? Does not the potter have power over the clay? I'll say a couple things. Number one, don't judge the artist when the art is not finished. Don't judge the potter when the pottery is not yet finished. And you can look and say, God, I don't feel like it's good yet. And I, I this, is, this is a phrase God dropped in my spirit years ago. He works all things together for good. If it's not good yet, God's not done yet. Amen? So if you're saying, God, it's not good right now. The clay is all messed up. My life is scrunched into pieces, and I don't know what's going on. I don't like where I am. Here's the key. If it's not good yet, God's not done yet. There's a second part to that. If you don't like the way things are right now, and you're frustrated in the middle of the process, do not get off the potter's wheel. Amen. If the clay, I don't know if there's anybody in the, in the house that took art. I took it, and, and I was never good at it, but <laughs> I tried. And I work with clay, and you know, if you leave clay alone, what happens to it? It dries out, and it becomes unworkable. And if you take it off of the potter's wheel before it's done, it will harden. And there are people that are frustrated in their life right now, and they're saying, man, God, it's not good. It's because you took yourself off the wheel. And now your life is starting to harden. But I got grace for you here today in the scriptures. When there was a vessel that was marred in the hands of the potter. That's the key. It was in the hand of the potter. He put it back on the wheel and began to rework it. Amen. And he made it another vessel as, here's the key, as seemeth good to the potter. Well, God, I want my way. It's not what seemeth good to you. It's what seemeth good to the potter. And when you understand what this man of God preached, that God has very good intentions. You know, we, we so often think, if I had it my way, it'd be good. You know, it's like all the people win the lottery. They lose it after a couple years, and their life ends up typically worse than what it was when, before they got it. You know, if, if sometimes we got what we wanted, uh, the Bible talks about in, in the, the children of Israel, they asked for quail. And the Bible says God gave them their request, gave them what they wanted, but he sent leanness into their soul. So they got what they wanted but it ruined what they had. And there are those moments where if you take yourself off the wheel and you revoke yourself in the process because you think your way is better, you miss out on all these good things of God. But if you, like I believe many people in this building here today, you're saying, God, I'm in the middle of the process. I'm on the wheel and it's a little uncomfortable. I just want to tell you, if you're in the middle of the process, don't give up now. Because the potter's not giving up on it, on, on working you, and the potter's not done working in your life. And the potter's going to keep on moving things together. Everybody say amen to that. And if the potter's not quitting on you, don't you quit. Stick in the process. Don't fight against the process. Just, just let the potter work on you, and he will make you. Ex and I promise you this, there's, there's folks in this building. That you, you've already, even in the time that you've lived for God, you've seen what the Lord's done in your life. I want to tell you, it, it, there's moments where it's tough, but I want to promise you this. It does get so much better. And you'll look back on your life, and you'll see all, right now you're on a, you're on a hill on a climb. Amen. But one day you're going to look back and say, wow, look at how far the Lord's brought me. I never saw how beautiful this canvas could be. And everybody said, amen.
Amen. So endure the process. Do what the man of God has preached to us today. I, I really believe this is helping all of us. And, uh, and God's going to work things out. I cannot wait for Sunday to come around. Amen. How many's excited for that? Let's be inviting people to the house of the Lord. And I believe God's going to do a great work in their life. Would you lift up your hands one more time as we pray to be dismissed? Father, we love you. We thank you today. Thank you for the preacher. Thank you for the man of God that preached to us. God, I pray every one of us is fighting and resisting the process that we would set down our swords and just commit ourselves to the process and the potter's wheel. And whatever you want to do in our life, God, I'm believing for great things. Jesus, we love you. We thank you today. Bring us back safely into the house of the Lord and fill this place with hungry people. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. Hallelujah. Shake hands, be friendly, love one another. Uh, for the men that signed up, uh, in, if you could meet me in this back room over here for just about five minutes or less, we're going to have a quick meeting. In Jesus' name, God bless you.